So I guess it's been a Sunday for testimonies. Great testimony from Deb and what's going on at the Bible to Schools. Great testimony from the Kaufman family. So I guess I will share this. Justin alluded to it. Um, I have a friend and his wife, and it's not sure that they're actually, if they know the Lord or not. And his mom is 93. She'll be 94 in March. And she's in a nursing home. And I know that weighs heavy on his mind. And so I woke up one morning, and I felt like the Lord said, this is a strategy for you to reach your friend and his wife. Offer pastoral care to his mom. She doesn't have a church. She's in a nursing home. They don't have a chaplain. So I asked him, you know, is that something you would like? And, and he said, yes, it is. And before I ever even got into visitor, he came back and he said, hey, I talked it over with all my siblings. We want you to do her funeral. So, okay, I wasn't actually bargaining on that. But I figure if I'm going to do her funeral, I need to know that she has assurance of heaven. So that was sort of the, the strategy going in, not to push it, but to find out. So I met with her for a few weeks, three weeks maybe, and didn't bring it up. And then on the fourth visit, she said, you know, I'm ready to go. And I said, do you have peace about dying? And she looked at me and she said, no, I don't. And I said, do you know the Lord? you know for sure where you're going to go when you die? you know for sure you're going to go to heaven? And she said, no, I don't. So I said, I can help you with that. And I gave her some scripture, and we talked, and she listened very intently. And then um, she stopped, and she said, I don't know if I can do that. And I said, why not? You know, why? And she said, uh, I think my children would be very mad at me if I did that. That's one of the strangest responses I've ever heard. It's not true. It's deception. I said, you really think your children would be mad that you came into a peace with the Lord before you died and you knew for sure that, that you were going to go to heaven and you could just see Satan working the deception, the blind, the veil, and yeah, I'm pretty sure they get mad at me. I'll have to think about that. So that's where we left it, and I, we went, talked further, and then I left. So I had the Wednesday, night, the Wednesday morning group praying and some others, and I was praying, and I went back in this Thursday, and I thought, I'm not going to bring it up. I'm going to see if she even remembers that conversation. Well, right away she brought it up and she said, you know, I don't think I'm as ready to die as I originally thought I was when I said I'm ready to go. I've been thinking all week about what you said. And so long story short, we talked further and she prayed to receive the Lord. And you could just see the change come over her. A lady came in to take her to lunch and she said, he's my pastor. <laughs> we were walking down the hall. There were ladies working in the laundry room and she's like, he's my pastor. Got out into the lunchroom, same thing. He's my pastor. You can just see the change come over her. She'll be 94 on 3.30, March 30th. So like everybody's been saying, God is just, it, for 2024, I'm telling you, hold on. Be amazed. Stand amazed and see what God's going to do. There will be clashes with the enemy. That always has to be said, lest we fall into that trap and think, oh, everything's just going to be so great. It is going to be great, but there will be clashes with the enemy. But our focus is on what God is going to be doing 
this year. Don't miss it. <laughs> Get on board for the ride. Introduction and review to today's message, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Two weeks now, we've been in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. That's been our text. It's our text again today. Kateri, if you'll come, and the rest of us will stand. We'll honor God's word together as Kateri reads. Good and loud, right into the mic. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Thank you. Good reading, Kateri. You may be seated. So six verses there in that passage. Verse 1 carries the main point. Now that we know our spiritual position in Christ, now that we know all that we are in Christ, all who we are in Christ, now that we know the high calling to which we have been called in Christ. Verse 1 says, live lives that are worthy of that calling. Live up to that standard. That's the main point of the whole passage. Now that you know, live up to what you know. Now that you know, live what you know. It's, an, it's a challenge from the Lord. It's an admonishment from the Lord to his people. It comes through Paul to the Ephesians and now through him to us. Live lives that are worthy of your calling. Live up to that standard. Then all the verses that we've read since then, this is the third week, Verses 2 through 6. They sort of detail what living up to that calling looks like. And for me at least, and maybe for you, it doesn't look like what I thought it would look like. Now my original intention for today was actually just to look at the next word in verse 2, gentle. Be humble and gentle. We looked at humble last week. I wanted to do something similar to that this week with gentle, but as I began this sermon preparation, I sensed there was something else that God wanted to address today. So it seems like the focus on the word gentle will be next week. Today's title is this, It's All About the Church. So as you can guess from the title, this is a message about the church. It comes directly from verse 2 of our text. Ephesians 4.2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other. For each other's faults. Because of your love, if you follow that out, for your love for one another. We mentioned this last week. There's a starting place. 
There's a starting place for living a life that's worthy of our calling. It has everything to do with our attitudes. It has everything to do with our character, but specifically in relationship to one another, in relationship to each other, how we relate to one another. I have become convinced, I think I knew it before, I've become convinced, how we relate to each other in the church is so much more important to God than it is to us. How we care about one another and fulfill the one another commands is so much more important to God than it seems to be to us. Now, some of us, like myself, may have been surprised that this is the starting place. Talk about that high calling that we have in in Christ, that incredible power and, and authority, dominion that we have in Christ. And the starting place for living that out is in relationship with each other in the church. I was surprised, but then I realized I really should not be because that's completely consistent with who Paul is. It's completely consistent with Paul's theology. It's completely consistent with Paul's thinking. Paul is all about the church. Read his epistles. Notice the phrases here, each other, with each other, and for each other. Paul is all about the church. He's all about the corporate body. He's all about the family, which we are. He's all about the entity that's a, that we know as the church, which is the church. He, Paul is all about the each other focus, the one another focus. Now, listen, there's been some erroneous teaching for a few decades in the church that really focused on, like, be all that you can be. And there's truth to that. Be all that you can be in Christ. But it focused very much on the individual than, more so than it did the corporate. You just worry about who you are in Christ and go to church. And that's not Paul's theology at all. We're going to talk a lot about that today. Paul does not promote and he does not approve of the Lone Ranger mentality for believers. His his theology and his thinking is this. When God saves us, He places us in the body of Christ. And then he assigns us a local church to which we are to become a part of. We need each other to be fully functional in the Christian life. No lone rangers, not in Paul's theology. We need to be in relationship with one another to fully fulfill our individual calling. That was the error for a few decades where it focused on our individual calling. What's my calling? What are my gifts? What am I to do? And that is definitely part of it. We'll talk about that. But we isolated ourselves and we didn't realize that that's in the context of the church. We need to be in relationship with one another to fully walk worthy of our calling. This is something many in the contemporary church have yet to realize. That it's all about the church. God is all about the church. Jesus is all about the church. 
He came to establish. He came to institute the church. And I'm sure you know this. Probably doesn't even need to be said. But the church is not the building. The church is not the facility. I know we say we go to church, and, and I understand that, but that's not really correct. We don't go to church. We are the church. We go to the building that houses the church. The church is the people. The church is you and me. The church is us living together in relationship with one another, on mission with Christ together. The building, the facility, this beautiful edifice that God has given us, you know, it's simply just an earthly base of operation for us. He could at any time move us out of here and into a new base of operations. We're the church. This is just the building. If you've been with us for, for any amount of time, we've met in basements, we've met in schools, we've met in fire halls, we've met in other church buildings, we've met under pavilions. But we were still always the church. This building's a base out of which we operate and do our kingdom ministry. And that is necessary. I'm not diminishing a location or a building or a facility. We need that to earthly operate. But that's not the church. So an objection that could be raised, especially if you came out of that teaching of you find your gifts and your calling and you become all that you can be with the Lord and that's all that matters. So here's an objection. Does that mean that if it's all about the corporate church, then I as an individual am not important? What do you think? It's just all about the church. I'm not really that important. Yeah, of course not. That is not true. You and I as individual believers are extremely important important to God, to Jesus. Did you hear that? It's all about the church. But you and I as individual believers, we are extremely important to God, to Jesus. I want you to really listen at this point. Our individual, personal relationship with the Lord is the most important thing to God. Without it, there'd be no church. That's the most important thing to God. Individual lost souls, you and me. Being reconciled and restored to fellowship with God, our Father, that's the most important thing to God. Top priority. He's not willing that any should perish. Our personal salvation. I'm intentionally emphasizing this over and over again because I don't want it to get lost as we move on. Our personal salvation, us entering into eternal life and a relationship with our Father is the most important thing to God. Think about that. And then we'll put it into perspective. That's the most important thing, that you got saved, that you came to know him, that Doris, who is the lady I, I visited on Thursday, that she has now come to know him and has peace for when her time comes. However, on the screen, our individual Christian life here on earth 
that thing that's most important to God, that you came to know him, and you now have a, pers- you now have a personal relationship with him, it finds its ultimate fulfillment. It finds its purpose in the context of the church, not on its own. It finds its ultimate fulfillment and purpose in relationships within the church. Through joining with, God saved you. That was the most important thing to him. Every soul precious to him. The angels rejoice in heaven when somebody comes to know the Lord. When Doris came to know the Lord on Thursday, the angels were rejoicing in heaven. Especially the angels that had been assigned to protect her for 93 years until she came to know him. Because God knew that she was going to come to know him, so he didn't allow anything to happen to her. Those angels are particularly rejoicing. This is vitally important to know as, in, as essential and, and as important as that is to God that you got saved. Now, earthly speaking, the fulfillment and the purpose of, of you getting saved is found in the context of the church. God's plans and God's purposes for each of you and for me are vitally tied to the church. Since you're currently in this church, it's tied to this church. If God would call you elsewhere, then it's tied to that church. But God will assign you to a local church for where he has a role for you within the context of the church. They need you desperately. You need them. God's plan and purposes for you are vitally tied to the church in which Jesus placed you. And this has been well thought out. He knows exactly where he wants you. He knows exactly where you fit best. He knows which local church needs you and which local church you need. And he orchestrates that. And if you're following the leading of your, the Holy Spirit in your life, you end up there. And I'm so thankful for, at least at this moment in time, God has chosen to bring all of you to this church. I so appreciate you. In this church, every one of you. The relationship of the individual believers with each other within the church is the foundation upon which the church is built. This is a building. The church is us, and it's built on our relationships with one another. The stronger the relationships within the church, the greater the success of the church in kingdom work. If you listen to the entire passage that Kateri read so well, you'll see that shortly in this passage, Paul starts to talk about unity in the church. Those relationships can't be fractured and divided. They need to be in unity. That's not for today, but that's coming. The importance of the church, the importance of the individuals of the church relating properly, correctly to one another and then he's actually tying it back to, that's what it means to live a life worthy of your calling. At least that's the starting place. I think many of us have taken that for granted, haven't we? Good, I'm glad it got very quiet for this next statement. Folks who say, I can be a Christian and not go to church... Are 
technically right. What? Wait, wait, what did our pastor just say? We don't have to go to church? I'm sure that's how some of you just heard this. We don't have to go to church. But I have to say it because it's true. Folks who say, I can be a Christian and not go to church, are technically right. We don't get saved by going to church. Salvation comes by putting our trust in Jesus, inviting him into our lives, giving our lives to him like Doris did on Thursday. So folks who say, I can be a Christian and not go to church, and you've heard that, haven't you? I'm sure everybody in here knows somebody that professes to be a Christian but doesn't see any need to go to church. They're technically right. However, they are woefully wrong. They are woefully ignorant of God's overarching plan for their salvation. They miss out on so much of what God has for them. And the church misses out on so much that God has for it or her, if you want to give it a pronoun, it or her, through them. When you have that mindset that I can be a Christian and not go to church and so you don't connect, you're woefully ignorant of God's overarching plan of salvation. You miss out on so much that God has for you. And the church where he has assigned you misses out on so much that God had for them because you're absent. You're a non-factor. You're not a part of it. Now, you're here, so I guess I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm sure that you know someone that has that mindset. Remember this from not too long ago. We'll go back one chapter in Ephesians, the importance of the church. Ephesians 3, 9 and 10. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God has kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities and principalities in heavenly places. God's purpose in Christ, after our individual salvation, that's the most important. God's, in, God's purpose in Christ, after our individual personal salvation, is to use us within the context of the church in his dealings to overcome the enemy. In his dealings with and to overcome the enemy. Here's a statement from a previous sermon. I think I had to go back to November to find this. Jesus defeated the devil at the cross. He continues to defeat him through the church. And we are the church. You can be a Christian and not go to church, but you cannot be a Christian and not go to church and still fulfill God's plan and purposes for you and through you. That only happens in the context of the church. You will only ever, and there's the problem with that teaching of, hey, just go become what you can be. If that's apart from the church, it's probably not going to happen. It only happens in the context of the church. Joined with other believers, serving Christ on mission together. That's where you come into the fullness of your destiny, the fullness of your plan or God's plan, God's purposes for you and for me. 
It's in the context of the church. It is that important. Church is so much more important than we realize it is. Listen to this strong admonishment on this matter of the church. You've seen it before. I know you have. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Us. It's always in the us. With Paul, it's always in the us. And if he does word, use the word you, it's always in the plural. Us and you. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. But we need to encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We have always needed each other in these days, weeks, months, years ahead, if we still have that long. We're going to desperately need each other. Clear admonishment from the Lord on this matter of Christians, believers, professing believers, coming together, being connected to, and being involved in the church. Now, that's a subject for another time. That's the subject for another sermon, this thought that we who do at least gather, we who do come to the church, we need to come and get connected. We need to come and get involved. We need to come and get invested in the church. The thought that we would just come to church and be a pew sitter and not be involved, that thought's foreign to Paul. You don't find that anywhere in his writings. When it says gather together, it doesn't mean just come on a Sunday morning. It means commit to, get invested in, connect to, get involved in the church. Bring the calling that God has on your life into the church. Mix it with the callings of everyone else in the church. And it becomes a very powerful church. Unstoppable. I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. <laughs> this thought of getting actively connected actively involved, actively invested in each other in the church. Jesus got actively connected, got actively involved, and actively invested in your life, didn't he? There are to be no pew sitters. Doesn't mean you don't sit in a pew, but it means you just come to church, you're a warm body in a pew, and you're going, and that's it. There are to be no pew sitters in the church. That is not pleasing to God, does not fit biblical theology of the church. There is a calling. If you look up our um, core values, I should have brought, printed that out and brought it. We have a core value in the church that says every believer has a calling and a place of service and a ministry within the church. Once our personal salvation is accomplished, then we have this desire, usually, if it's a genuine salvation, you have a desire to serve the Lord. And that place of service to the Lord, by His design, is within the church. We serve the Lord through the church. 
Hey, isn't it great to know God's design, God's intention, is that we're not in this alone? Wouldn't you hate to have to go it alone? That you're in it with me, and I'm in it with you to the very end. Back to 4.2, Ephesians 4.2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love for one another. This original thought of what it looks like to live a life worthy of our calling. There's a starting place for living a life worthy of this high calling that's on our lives. There is an individual calling. It's a high calling. All those things that were said in in Ephesians 1 through 3 is true of you and me personally. But it finds its fulfillment in the context of the church. Am I making that clear? There is a starting place, has everything to do with our attitude and our character and our relation towards, towards one another, in relationship with one another in the church. Let's just close with some related scriptural teaching. Truths about the church. Just like a, an FYI, hey, here's some things about the church, the church of Jesus Christ, that are true. This is not an exhaustive study. These are just some things that I feel, well, I feel God wants us to know. I mentioned this already, Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church, Jesus. It's Jesus' church. It's not my church. It's his church. It's not our, it's not our elders' church. It's not when people say, yeah, your church. I'm like, mm, it's not really my church. It's his church. And if you come here, If you come here regularly, I don't want you to say to me, your church. What do I want you to say? Our church. Yes, you know our church? Because we're invested and we're committed. It's our church. Your success in your individual Christian life is dependent upon the success of the church. And the success of the church is dependent upon the success, of how you live, the success of how you live your individual Christian life. They're so intertwined you can't separate them, although many of us think you can. There are many who think, yeah, I can be a Christian, but I don't have to go to church. That's a woefully ignorant understanding of Scripture. So he will build his church. It's his church. He founded the church. He's the one that's continually building the church, adding one individual after another, he added Doris on Thursday. He added four or five of Deb's children last week at, at the schools to Bible. He's added them to the church now. The church has grown. Jesus instituted it, and he's building it. And here's something that we need to know. I think many facets or aspects of the church have, have bought into another um, error in thinking. The church is the only institution on earth that has power and authority over evil, over the evil one, over demonic forces. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. God did not give government that role. He did not give science that role. He did not give medicine that role. They have their roles. But there's only one organization or institution on earth that God has given authority over the devil and his demonic forces, and it's the church. Ephesians 1.22, 
God placed all things under his feet, meaning Jesus, and he appointed him to be head over everything for the church. So not only did Jesus found the church, not only is he building the church, he is the head of the church. He's the ultimate authority. He's managing the affairs of the church. He's orchestrating everything that happens to the church, with the church, through the church. When an individual gets saved, he has a place for them in a particular church. He's the head, he's calling the shots, and he's active about that. Acts 12.5, while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Something the church does is pray earnestly together, in agreement. Have you ever said that to us, Justin? A couple times? We're to pray together, and we're to pray in agreement. It's powerful. Especially for our own. Here the church was gathered, pray. James had just been killed, completely caught the church off guard that Herod would actually take one of their lives. It, drew, it drove the church to their knees. And all over Jerusalem, the church was meeting in pockets, praying earnestly for Peter. The church was praying for its own, corporately, in agreement. The praying of the church is how God determined to accomplish his will on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know if this is 100% true. I didn't say it, but I've heard it, kind of believe it. God does nothing apart from prayer. God does nothing apart from the church praying. That's the way he designed it. It's not because he can't. It's because he designed it that way. If a nation gets itself in trouble and strays from God, what's God's recipe for, for resolution? If my people who, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. God accomplishes his will on earth through the church praying. Through, through you praying individually? Yes. In James 5, it says that the effectual prayer of a, of a righteous person accomplishes much. And then it says in Matthew, where two or three are gathered, where two or three agree on anything they ask, my Father will do it because of the agreement. So you take that individual power that we have in prayer and you join it with others and you have an explosion. An explosion that honestly Satan cannot stand against. Satan so clearly had Doris blinded to the truth of the gospel, had a veil over her eyes that she could not see it or hear it clearly. She actually thought her children would be mad at her, angry at her, if she accepted Christ. Which after talking to my friend, that's ridiculous. You could see the veil. You could see him operating even as I was talking to her. I asked people to pray. I asked people to pray in agreement on this. And I went back a week later and she was completely changed. Because God accomplishes his will on earth through the praying of his people. So the church prayed for Peter, and you probably know the story. He was supernaturally and miraculously released from prison because the church had prayed together, corporately, in agreement as well as, I'm sure, they were praying individually. 
Ephesians 3, 20, 21. We just had this recently. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church. Glory to him where? In the church. Through all generations, forever and ever. God is greatly glorified in powerful workings through the church. We pray. He moves powerfully. And we praise him and glorify him because of it. He has gained great glory through Doris's salvation. He has gained great, great glory through healing Rachel. He has, gained great, great, he has gained great glory for himself through these kids that Deb was able to pray with to receive the Lord. We've prayed. He moved. And then whoever hears about it that knows him praises him and glorifies him and thanks him. He brings great glory to himself when he works through the church, when the church allows him to work through them and accomplish great things. Right, Richard? I think one more verse, and this is it. I rejoice in what I am suffering for you for the sake of his body, which is the church. The church is often referred to as the body of Christ. And that's because the church is now. Jesus died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, technically is at the right hand of the Father. The person of Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father. And now the church is his body on earth. The church, you and me, together, the church is now the physical presence of Jesus on the earth. People are not seeing Jesus in the flesh anymore. They're seeing Jesus in us when they see our flesh. The church now carries on the earthly ministry of Jesus. Now that he's resurrected, now that he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. We're now, you've heard it said, we're now his hands and his feet and his mouth and his legs and arms. We're now the physical presence of Jesus on earth in and through the church and the church together. It takes all of us. Not one of us can fully represent Jesus to the world. It takes all of us. And when they see Jesus best, it's when they see him in the midst of us. They do see him in us when we're at work, when we're in the nursing home, but they see Jesus best in the midst of us. What do he say? They'll know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. When they see my love in action in the midst of my church, they will be attracted to that. Oh, there's another one, James 5. One of my favorites. It, it, lost, it lost traction in the church for decades, but now it's starting to regain traction. James 5. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church, of the church, the elders of the church, to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. This is kind of mind-blowing if you really think about it. The church has been given a divine prescription for the healing of its members. God did not leave us at the whim of the enemy's schemes of sickness and illness and all the things that can come upon us because we're in the flesh and we're in the world. He did not leave his church to the fate of those things. He gave the church a prescription for handling those things. And it's connected to the church, and it's the elders, plural, 
not one elder who's the superman of healing. It's the elders, plural, whom he gave the prescription of healing for the church's members. Come to the elders, be prayed over, and the prayer offered in faith will raise the sick person up, make them well. It's in there. What you do with it is up to you. What I do with it is up to me. But there it is. The church has been given a divine prescription for the healing of its members. The Lord releases healing to the members of the church through the office of the elders in the church. There could be so much more, but we'll close with this. There's so much more said about the church. It's a fascinating study. But we'll close with this. God loves the church. Say, whoa, wait a minute. Does he really know us? I want to tell you something. Despite all of the church's flaws, despite all the church's failures, and there are many, despite all the church's blemishes, despite all the church's imperfections, the mistakes that we make, the wrong decisions we make. God loves the church more than we can ever know how much he loves the church. It's his special institution on earth for the accomplishing of his will on earth. It's his plan A to work through the church with all of our imperfections, all of our humanity acting up at times. There is, that's his plan A, and there is no plan B. There's no alternative plan. There's no, I'm going to forsake the church and raise up something else. He works through the church. He loves the church. He will not abandon the church. Sometimes I'm, I'm amazed at what he can accomplish despite of us, in spite of us. And then there's times that we're shining stars, too. Actually, there are many. But we all know ourselves. We all know what we're like. And we're like, really, God? This is your plan for overcoming the enemy and reaching the world? Us? Well, look who he chose as his original disciples. Them? Look what they did. Don't sell ourselves short. We are, we are all God's got to work with, so let's give him the best that we can give him of ourselves. What do you say? Yeah. We're all he's got. He has big plans, and we're always got to accomplish those big plans. So the application is simply, what are you going to do with what you heard today? Perhaps there are some adjustments that we need to make in our thinking, how we think about the church. Perhaps God has spoken to some of us of specific changes that we should make related to the church. Holy Spirit, give each one of us we are each one of us, and we are each one of us gathered together corporately. Give each one of us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us in the context of the corporate church. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, will you stand? Yvonne will come and pray. Wait till everybody's settled. Don't try and pray over the distractions, then pray.
Dear Father, I just thank you for your presence here. I see you in our midst, and I thank you for that. I'm thinking of that song this morning that said, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I'm standing in your love. Mm-hmm. And Lord, when we think about some of the things that Pastor Hub said this morning, we may have a little bit of fear in our heart, but it doesn't stand a chance when we're standing in your love. Mm-hmm. So Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you're our perfect Heavenly Father. I thank you for what Jesus did on the cross for us. And I thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit to guide us each step of the way. And Father, as we go into this week, um, yeah, help us to remember each other. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to remember each other in prayer. perhaps as we've done the past few weeks with a word of encouragement or a word of exhortation because we know those words help us grow help us to be confident in what you're asking us to do father you're awesome and i'm so glad you're part of my life i'm so glad that you are a vital part of this church and i pray that as we go into the week we won't forget that and i pray your blessing over each one And help us, Lord, to be a sweet aroma for you in wherever you are calling us this week. Thank you for hearing our prayers. In your precious name, amen.